Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Today's message is focused upon three Old Testament characters, but it has tremendous relevance to our lives today as Christians. It focuses on Christian commitment, something that in our very comfortable society is in somewhat short supply. But it is something that is vitally needed. It's vitally important if we as Christians want to grow in our relationship with the Lord as well as be a blessing to the unbelieving world around us. In today's message, evangelist Marvin Dirksen looks at some crisis moments in the lives of Joshua, Samuel, and David, in which their strength of commitment to the will of God became evident. All three of them made the amazing statement, and this is it, As for me, yes, that's right, as for me, in contrast to what others around them were doing or planning, they decided to follow after God, whatever the cost. But what a wonderful encouragement to consider God's side of this commitment. David wrote in Psalm 18, As for God, His way is perfect. The Lord will guide our footsteps and meet our commitment with the strength that we need to see us through. Mr. Marvin Dirksen is addressing a conference of Christians and has just read the opening scriptures relating to these three men. I'd like to speak very briefly, but I'd like to just pass on two very simple phrases that I think will serve as borders or bookends of our lives. And you know, what we have read really is, is a result of a response because we have read the little phrase three times over, four times over, as for me. As for me, we have read in the 18th Psalm, David could say, but as for God, his way is perfect. I'd just like to leave those two little phrases, as for me and as for God. You know, all of our lives are affected by others. We're rubbing shoulders. We work with people, believers. No one, no one lives unto himself. No one of us here is an island where the ripples and the currents and the waves just beat in on our shoreline. no. The waves go out, and they affect others. And every single one of us can look to individuals that have intersected our lives, that have been a tremendous help to us. In fact, the writer of the Hebrews could look at individuals, and he said, now, whose faith follow, considering the, the end of their matter of life? And so there are those that we have been able to look to. We've been able to consider their way of life, the impact, the devotion, the commitment. And the exhortation is, whose faith follow? And I'm so thankful for believers and for friends that have had an impact on my life that has been such a help and such a, a stirring along the way. That's the positive. But there are those that have impacted us in a negative way, aren't there? And we can say, whose life don't follow? 
We've seen their example. We've watched their decisions. We've seen their course. And it's been a tremendous deterrent and a a lesson to us whose life, whose decisions don't follow that. And so every one of us are having an effect on others. Ultimately, when the water settles, every single one of us will have to determine what our life is going to mean, of what our response is going to involve, of what our course is going to be linked with. And so every single one of us is going to have to hammer out our convictions. We're going to have to set our sails for the course of our life. And we are going to have to determine what my response will be to God's Word and to God's will and to God's desire for us. And so we have read of three men. And in the difficulty of their circumstances, in in these crisis moments, they have been able to say, but as for me, and I trust that their response will be our response. That little phrase really reveals a conviction of soul, and it really reveals a, a commitment of their lives. You know, the truth of commitment is a perplexing reality. I have talked to brethren and sisters from Vancouver to Newfoundland, and I, I have said, now, how does commitment really work? Uh, what kind of ministry can be given to, to foster and to stir and to propel commitment? And, you know, I, I've discerned that there are no easy answers, are there? In fact, someone has said that there's four different types of individuals in this world with regard to commitment. There are those that are known as the cop-outs. They have no goals, they have no desires, they have nothing to aim for, and they hit nothing. They're the cop-outs. And then, of course, there are the the holdouts. They kind of wait to see which way this thing is going to go. And if it's going to be a winner, count me in. If it's not going to be a winner, then I'm out of there. Thirdly, there there are the the dropouts. They climb aboard, they say, I'm in this, I'm, I'm moving ahead. But when the going gets tough, when the difficulties arise, when the costs mount, they say, I can't go anymore. And as we think of Demas's example, he was a dropout. But there are those we've been hearing of, some of David's men, individuals like ourselves, no different. And right through the scriptures and right through this audience, there are men and women, and they're known as the all-outs. They are committed. And although I don't have any easy answers, and I don't think anyone has easy answers today, I'm made aware that God values a devotion to him, a commitment from the lives of believers. And I'm convinced of this, that ultimately commitment begins in the heart. That's why the Lord could say through the words of the psalmist and through the words of Solomon, my son, give me thine heart. Because if the Lord has our heart, he has everything. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. In fact, they tell me, and I can't verify this, but they tell me that when it comes to the Kentucky Derby, that famous horse race held once a year, that the winning horse effectively runs out of oxygen after the first half mile and runs the rest of the race on heart. Sometimes there's a lack of oxygen. We run out, run out of strength, run out of vitality. But there are believers and keep going. Heart, heart. You know, when it comes to commitment, I think really it centers on four very amazing and important realities. I think those that are devoted to Christ and are committed to go on, regardless of the cost, have appreciated and seen, first of all, the greatness, the greatness 
of a person. Because if we had lived in David's day and we would have seen men walking along the road with their knapsack on the back, we said, where are you going? I'm going to Adullam. Adullam? Why Adullam? That, what do you say, dark, damp, dingy place? <laughs> it was no holiday inn, was it? Adullam? Who wants to go to Adullam? The cave. I'm going to Adullam because David's there. And as we watch several men break through the ranks of the Philistines, why are you putting your life at jeopardy just for a, just for a cruise of water? Man, you're, you're, you're crazy. Why are we doing that? Because of David. We're doing it for him. And as we watch a woman come into, into a room and she breaks an alabaster box of ointment, there were those that said, Mary, what in the world are you doing? In effect, she was pouring out $40,000 worth of ointment on one man on one occasion. Held nothing back. Mary, what are you doing? I'm doing it because Jesus Christ is Lord, my Lord. And the very root of commitment has to do with an appreciation of the greatness of a person. But you know, secondly, when it comes to commitments, there is the value that we set on the guidance of his words. The guidance, the unfailing, unchanging, accurate, life-transforming guidance of this book. And you know, those who have come to see the value of this book, its truth, its freshness, its impact, they are committed. This book is living. This book is life-changing. This book is life-transforming. As the prophet would say, thy word was found, and I did eat it. And thy words became unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. The condition of our hearts is inseparably linked with our appreciation of this book. And men and women who are committed and young people who are committed will see the guidance and the truthfulness of this book. But there's something else that they will see. They will see the glory of God's will. The glory of God's will. And the Bible is full of examples, and this audience is full of examples of men and women that have come face to face with God's will, with all of its difficulties, with all of its perplexing circumstances, with all of its turmoil. And there could well have been those that would have said to Joseph as he was languishing in the prison, Joseph, forget those dreams. There's nothing to them. You're dreaming about things that will never happen. Joseph had caught a little glimpse of the glory of God's will. He didn't understand how it was all going to happen. But there came a moment when he came to the understanding God meant it for good. And today, if I could only impress that upon all of our hearts, that God's will involves a glory that's worth going in for. But you know, those that are committed have seen a little bit of the grandeur of his kingdom. The grandeur. The apostle could say, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. And that's where most of us stop. And that's where I'm going to stop. I know that God has revealed them unto us by his spirit. But you know, I, I'm convinced that there is going to be a, a grandeur to the kingdom that we really have never been able to fathom. When we step into his presence, in his glory, and we will see the, the majesty and the splendor and the grandeur of what it means to be linked with him. It's worth living for now. And so here are three men, and I'll just mention this. Here are three men. Different men, Joshua, Samuel, David. And as they faced the difficulties and the circumstances of their lives, they came to the moment where they said, my choice is made. 
My vote is cast. As for me. So we come to Joshua chapter 24, and we read Joshua's final words to a nation. He has been with them for a long time. He doesn't get the same press release as Moses. He's a different man. He's brought the people into the land. And now he is watching as these tribes have gone off and they're settling their areas. And he knows their hearts. And he knows what's very prone for them. And as he addresses the nation, he says, you're going to have to make a choice. And can I say to this audience, you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to decide what you're going to do with God's words, with God's plan, with God's desire. And here's Joshua and he says, you're going to have to make a choice. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. But he says, but as for me, my house, we will serve the Lord. I trust we understand the tone of that statement. It wasn't that Joshua was putting out his chest and he said, no, as for me, uh, you can count on me. Look to me. No, no, it wasn't with arrogance. It wasn't with pride. It wasn't with self-sufficiency. It wasn't even as dear Peter could say, Lord, though everyone else will fail, everyone else will forsake you, you can count on me. I will not do that. He learned a very bitter lesson, didn't he? But to me, when I come to Joshua chapter 24, there is just this quiet confidence. It's a life statement that this man makes. It's a life, it's a statement that reveals a desire, an exercise, a resolve for spiritual devotion. As for me, we will serve the Lord. I trust there might be young people here, and I'm not just addressing young people, but the future is yours. Some of us are kind of getting to the tail end of things. And I don't consider myself an old man. But you young people are going to have to make a choice, spiritual resolve as to what your life is going to mean. And so while you're together with your own, and there's dozens and dozens and dozens of you, it will come to a moment when you're going to have to say, but as for me, you say, I'm going to get baptized. And you might be the only one that asks for baptism. And your Christian friends might say, well, I lots of time for that. But as for me, I'm going to obey the Lord. You might come to the place where you'll say, but as for me, I, I am going to ask for assembly fellowship. It might be costly. There might be no one else that will join you. But as for me, I'm going ahead. There might be individuals here and brethren, and you'll say, but as for me, I'm going to become a worshiper. And I might not be able to pray like, like the old man. And my vocabulary might not be all that great. But as for me, I would like to give back to my God the response of my heart. And that's where it comes to, isn't it? But as for me, the resolve of spiritual devotion. I can't make that for you, and you can't make that for me. It's personal. And you know, at the very core, at the very center of Joshua's experience, this man started with the Lord's embrace because the Lord said, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. What a tremendous promise. What a reality to hold on to the Lord's presence. That is a great reality that we need to experience more of. And then, of course, there was the need for a spiritual exercise. The Lord's embrace, spiritual exercise. For the Lord said, Joshua, be strong. Be of good courage. And I can tell you today, in these difficult days, you're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to be courageous. It involves spiritual exercise. But alongside of that, there is the essential. What was the essential for Joshua? This book. 
This book shall not depart from you day or night. Meditate. Consume it. Let it become the man of your counsel. The resolve of spiritual devotion. We have read in 1 Samuel 23, and I'll just mention this, the responsibility of spiritual intercession. The nation had asked for a king. They wanted to be like everybody else, and that's nothing new, is it? We want to be like everybody else. We want to have things easy. Give us a king. And so in this crisis, Samuel, with heaviness of heart and with tears and with a sad spirit, moves before the Lord, and the Lord says, give him a king. What has interested me is the fact that here is a man, and instead of turning bitter, instead of lashing out, he said, you have done this wickedness. But he says, but as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you as for me. Could I appeal to believers here today? There may be things that you don't agree with, you might not understand, but what's your response going to be? How are you going to react to all that? Here's a man of spiritual integrity, and he says, but as for me, I am going to pray for you. And I'm convinced if we had more brethren and sisters that would pray for others, are we willing to pray for the blessing, for the edification, for the upbuilding of others? Oh, you say, you don't understand. I don't quite understand what was happening there either. A nation turning away from godly leadership. Give us a king, and they got the king. Big man, great man, it seemed anyway. Here's a man, and he says, as for me, you're going that way. But as for me, I am not going to sin against God, but I am going to intercede. I am going to pray for you. Let me read just one quotation that I read from Oswald Chambers' writings. He said, when we discern that people are not going on spiritually and allow the discernment to turn to criticism, we block our way to God. God never gives us discernment that we may criticize, but that we may intercede. I think there's a lot of truth in those words. Is when we adopt a critical spirit, and I'm not suggesting that we should gloss over things, but when we adopt a critical spirit, when we see things dark in every circumstance, every corner, you know what happens? We become dark. And our way is hedged up to God. It limits our vision. It blocks our effectiveness. It negates blessing. And so God desires that when we see difficulties, that we might intercede on behalf of others. We have read in First Chronicles chapter 28, David has desired to build this temple. Very likely a lifelong dream. So he begins the process, and finally God says, No, David, you're, you're not, you're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. You're not going to be the one. Solomon's going to do that. And now a, a man with a spiritual exercise is brought to a, a standstill. What does he do? He just keeps contributing. He keeps adding. It doesn't minimize his joy, but he seeks to further the work of God. And you know, today we are faced with a response to either rejoice in a spiritual exercise or to become sour and dour in the fact that maybe we're not involved. Let me just ask you this. Uh, do you want to really be happy? Well, I think everyone would say amen to that. Do you want to be effective? Do you want to grow and learn God, and do you want others to grow? Well, then get involved in a upbuilding ministry. Contribute. Get involved. And here's David, and he said, even though I can't build all this, 
I'm going to further the work in whichever way I can. I'm going to bring all these materials. And as he saw the people bring the, the riches and the, the gold and the silver, he rejoiced. He says, isn't this great? Let me ask you, what, what's your response when the work of God goes ahead with others at the helm? Do you rejoice? David said, but as for me, it was in my heart. But as for me, I rejoice in what I'm seeing, the work of God flourishing. Thank God we don't have to stop there. Here's David, Psalm 18, a long journey. But as he's looking back now, he said, mm, as for God, as for God, his way is perfect. There's likely some here, and you're struggling with that. Easy to read, isn't it? As for God, his way is perfect. But as David looks back and begins to reflect, he says, yes, he has made my way perfect. It's been good. It's been excellent. It's been the only way to live. And you know, as we think of God's will, trials, just remember, Christian, God controls the length of the furrow and the depth of the plow. It's in his hand. He won't allow you to be tested above what you're able. Need more strength? His way is perfect. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You're looking for guidance. The God whose way is perfect said, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And I like the other rendering, I will guide thee with mine eye upon thee. I'm watching you. I'm following you. I'm guiding you. That's the God whose way is perfect. You're looking for honor? Them that honor me, I will honor. Looking for a future, a bright future? Cast not away your confidence. A great recompense and reward for yet a little while, just a very short time. He that shall come will come, will not tarry. So it comes right down to this. As for me, and as for God. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How this should be the response of our hearts when we think of the greatness and wonderful grace of our Lord, and when we consider the one who sent his only Son to die for our sins upon the cross. And as for God, his way is perfect. Yes, the Lord has promised strength and his guidance to each one of us. And though the Christian pathway may be difficult and wearisome at times, we have a God who goes all the way with us. And what a wonderful assurance for the child of God. And maybe you have received Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins, but you haven't been going on in your walk for Him. You're not truly committed to the things of God. My friend, you'll have no real joy in your life unless you do. And why not decide today to live your life to the glory of God? Follow the Lord with your whole heart, and you'll be in the good company of Joshua and Samuel and King David himself if you do. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, 
or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the Gospel Hall nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a Savior. And in times like these, you need an anchor.